if you think about it, one of the great proofs for Jesus being exactly who he said he was is the commitment that his disciples showed to him when he was no longer there. Uh, They passionately told everybody about him, no matter who told them to stop. They advanced throughout the world telling the story of Jesus. And church tradition tells us that 10 of the disciples were martyred for their faith. Uh, The sole survivor was John, who was thrown by the Roman emperor Domitian into a vat of boiling oil and still continued preaching. Then he was exiled exiled to an island called Patmos, where he wrote down the words that we're about to read. And these words are the basis for our series here in April. And so let's go to 1 John chapter 1, which will be kind of the key uh, springboard for our uh, series here. And 1 John chapter 1, as you turn there, let me mention a few important reminders. Uh, some of these were in the announcements. And next Sunday is Palm Sunday, and we'll have a special worship and communion service in the evening at 5.30. The Sunday morning schedule is normal. We still have our classes at 9.30 and worship at 11 next Sunday. Uh, The following Sunday is Resurrection Sunday, and we need to fill the barrel by the front door uh, with candy next week, if we can, for the giant candy hunt that goes on right after the service. And so if you're able to help with that, please bring it in by next Sunday. Uh, Also, on Easter morning, we're going to have a sunrise service at 7 a.m. out at the Brian's Place on Homedale Road, and Tim and Jen have been gracious to invite us to do that. That's on your bulletin, sir. Bring your own chair and bring your own blanket if you want to stay warm, okay? So uh, you never know what the weather is going to be. We'll look forward to being together that morning, and we'll sing, and we'll worship God, and uh, just celebrate what Jesus has done for us. Uh, On Easter Sunday, though, just please note that we still have our 930 classes along with our family worship at 11, and I'm really looking forward to Resurrection Sunday this year. I hope you'll invite a friend to come with you on that day, and if we all invited a friend on that day, we would barely have room for everybody to be here, and that's a good problem. So uh, we, we want you to invite, and once it gets too full in here, then we'll go back to two services like we had before the pandemic, and we're just waiting on God for all that, uh, but we are glad that you're here today, and uh, let's go now to the opening words of 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we've looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. Now, our series comes from the opening of verse 3 there. What we've seen and heard. What we've seen and heard. And we're going to see four portraits of Jesus 
that the disciples experienced. They had a story to tell before one word of the New Testament was ever penned on parchment. They had a story to tell hundreds of years before the Bible was available in one bound book. And, and so I want you to know this morning that the gospel isn't true just because of the Bible. Actually, it's the reverse. The Bible is true because of the gospel. Uh, without the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, the scriptures would have absolutely no authority. They would also have no story uh, because the gospel is the main story of the Bible. Uh, everything points to it, and then everything looks back at it. And in this first message of the series, we're going to see Jesus the friend. Jesus the friend. And let's talk about the man that walked with these disciples for three years. Uh, the disciples experienced real friendship with Jesus. And we're going to find in the book of John this morning that we can also find authentic friendship with Jesus. Now, I want to read to you four verses uh, from the Gospel of John, chapter 15. And so we're going to go from 1 John back to the Gospel of John. Uh, I have heard some people call this regular John. I don't know why it's called that, but that's what they call it, all right? So if you go from 1 John to back to the Gospel of John, or whatever you call it. Okay, John chapter 15 and verse number 12. This is my commandment that ye love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard of my Father, I have made known unto you. We're going to see some things this morning about Jesus as a friend. On the night before his crucifixion, Jesus met with his disciples and talked to them for the final time before he was betrayed by Judas in the garden. And here in John 15, we see some words about the definition of a friend that have been given to us by Jesus. And so, first of all, we see in, in this section, and we'll look at these verse by verse uh, this morning, we see the embodiment of a friend. And these notes are provided in your bulletin if you want to follow along with us today. They're also on the YouVersion app if you're kind of techie, okay? So, uh, John chapter 15, verse 12 is the first verse we're covering. Uh, this is my commandment that ye love one another as I have loved you. And let's talk about Jesus being the embodiment of a friend. Jesus gave this commandment uh, for all of his disciples to live by, and it's often called the new commandment. This new commandment was entirely based upon the example of friendship given by one man, Jesus himself. He, he said this, love one another as I have loved you. Now, Let's just think about this in just your family, okay? If everybody in your family loved the way you do, how would your family work? Some families are thinking, that worked pretty well. And some families are thinking, oh, man, we'd be in big trouble, right? Now, think about other members of your family. Don't point any fingers. Um, if you're 
thinking of other people in your family, you think, if everybody loved the way he does, we'd be good. But if everybody loved the way he does, we're in big trouble, right? Here's Jesus saying of himself, love one another as I have loved you. And Jesus is love in human form. He left behind the highest standard of friendship ever given. When you consider some of the things that bring people together in friendship, uh, many of them are are actually pretty low in standard. Uh, Some people become friends because they share an enemy, right? (laughs) It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. It's not a great basis for friendship, but some people become friends because they both have the same enemy. Uh, Some people become friends because they share an issue, okay? Maybe a political issue or some issue in society, some passion that they have. Some people become friends because they share a friend, okay? Are there any couples in here today who you met each other because you were set up by one of your friends? Anybody like that? Okay, I see several, all right? So you were set up by friends, And how many are still feeling good about the setup? Okay, so that's a good thing. Um, If you weren't, then don't raise your hand. (laughs) I should have said that. Um, (laughs) Some people become friends because they share a friend. Uh, Some people become friends and they treat each other only as they have been treated. Okay? So if you're nice to me, I'll be nice back. If you're mean to me, I'll be mean back. Uh, Some people become friends so that they can get something from another person. Some people become your friend to sell you something, all right? Some people are are real friends, and they'll treat you like they want to be treated, which is often called the golden rule. But what Jesus says here is the highest form of friendship ever given or practiced, to love one another the way that Jesus loves. He is friendship personified. He is the actual embodiment of a friend. Now, let's talk about the second part in verse 13, the essence of a friend. The essence of a friend. And look again at verse 13. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. I'm guessing you may have heard these words before. And you may not have known exactly where they came from, uh, but they're familiar to you. And here we see that they came from Jesus himself, as he described the essence of friendship. Uh, A real friend is someone that you can count on no matter what, whether that's in life or death. And when you find somebody, somebody who's willing to die for another person, that is the most extreme basis for friendship. That's what Jesus taught uh, that night before his crucifixion. That's what he taught. That's what he lived. Jesus was about to go lay down his own life to eternally save the lives of his friends, including me and you. And on the same night that Jesus said these words, uh, Peter, you remember the apostle Peter, the disciple? Peter inadvertently proved a major point for us about the essence of a friend. See, that night in the garden, Peter was willing to kill for Jesus, right? He pulled out his sword He tried to lop off a head, and his aim was off a little, and he got the ear of Malchus. He was willing to kill for Jesus, but he wasn't willing to die for Jesus, right? That's why later by the fire, 
he denied three times that he even knew who Jesus was. Okay, so killing for a friend is in no way equal to dying for a friend. Okay, I just want you to know that up front. And this has been seen many times in battle uh, when a soldier gives his life to save his friends. I always get choked up when I read the stories of the Medal of Honor recipients. And I was rereading some from a file the other day, and I was struck by one. Uh, this is a story on Jason Dunham. Jason Dunham was posthumously awarded the Medal of Honor for sacrificing himself to save his fellow Marines during the Iraq War. Uh, Dunham's unit was conducting a patrol in Hazabah, Iraq, when a firefight erupted nearby. His unit was ordered to intercept cars in the area that had been spotted at the attack. As Dunham approached a vehicle to search it, an insurgent jumped out and engaged him in hand-to-hand combat. Uh, after wrestling the insurgent to the ground, Dunham noticed that he had pulled the pen of a grenade and dropped it. Dunham immediately and without hesitation covered the grenade with his helmet and his body, bearing the brunt of the explosion and shielding his Marines from the blast. Dunham was mortally wounded, but he saved the lives of two Marines. He was evacuated to the National Naval Medical Center in Bethesda, Maryland, in a coma, and after it was determined he would not recover, he was taken off life support and died eight days later. And uh, when we think of what our armed forces have given uh, and what they still give, we know this. Killing for a friend is in no way equal to dying for a friend. I love Romans 5a. It says, but God commends or gives his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This is explained again in 1 John 3, 16. Hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. There is no higher expression of love because life is the most valuable thing that we possess. It really is. But why does the loss of life wound us so deeply? Because life is the most precious thing we've been given. This in itself is proof of a creator. Now, people who claim to have a worldview that says we're all just accidental blobs of mutated mass, you know what happens when somebody close to them dies? They mourn, just like everybody else. And their sorrow disproves their supposed worldview. People who say that there's no God. You know what happens when somebody close to them dies? They curse the supposedly non-existent God at their loss. People with worldviews that oppose truth prove the truth by the way they grieve the loss of life. Life is precious. And when you give your life for someone, that is absolutely the greatest gift possible. That's what Jesus did for all of us. That's what he did for his friends. It's what he did for you. It's what he did for me. I want to see in verse 14 the expectation of a friend. 
And let's review verse 14. You're my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. Now look, if your friend never does anything you ask him to do, how long are you going to be friends? Right, think about it, just for a second. If your friend never does anything you ask him to do, how long will you be friends? Now, I know that if you're married and you're in a relationship, you may be thinking of, you know, some other things, the honey-do list, and, you know, you got to fix the front porch and the window. And I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about friendship here today. Let's not get off course, okay? Uh, If your friend never does anything for you, you're going to reevaluate this whole friendship thing. After all, a friend in need is a friend in indeed, right? And Jesus says, guys, you're really my friends if you do what I ask you to do. Now, some Christians look at this verse, and they see this as a commandment issue, right? Oh, if I'm a Christian, I'm obligated to keep the commands of Jesus, right? And they make it a commandment issue. Actually, it's a relationship issue. If you love someone, then you show up, right? You show up in doing what the person needs. If you have a friend who only shows up when he needs something, that becomes a one-sided friendship, right? Those don't normally work out very well. But a lot of Christians have that sort of relationship with Jesus. Jesus, I'm not into showing up for you or speaking your name or spending time with you or sharing your resources But when I need something, I'll be sure to ask. And of course, I will expect you to answer and meet my need. Now, doesn't that sound like a very one-sided relationship? Surely, Jesus giving his all should lead us to giving some in return. Doing what Jesus has told us is important for the relationship, but it's also important for our joy to be full. Look back up at verse 11. John 15, 11. These things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. If you don't listen to the words of Jesus, you're not going to find fulfillment in life. You're just not. Now, you may act like you did, right? You may put on Facebook pictures to disprove God to show how awesome your new life is without Jesus, but it's a fraud and everybody knows it, right? People do not have fulfillment and joy without Jesus. That's a fact. I almost said that's a fact, Jack, but you can't do that when you're preaching, right? right, We'd be way off course if we did that. Ah, come on, let's do it. That's a fact, Jack. Jesus is the only way to real fulfillment in life. And if you're selling fulfillment without Jesus, it is a plastic banana. It's fraudulent. It's not real, okay? And pretty soon, everybody around you is going to realize that you are a very unhappy person. Uh, You have close friends, close friends, who never listen to anything you say. (laughs) Probably not, right? Now, uh, if you're guy, if you're a guy, it could happen, right? Like I have driven in a car with a guy before, like 300 miles, where neither of us said anything. 
right? And you will see like a whole antelope herd around and we we'll look over there, mm. Mm. And then we keep driving. Yeah, and then we stop for gas. You want anything? Nope. You want anything? Nope. And then we keep driving. Right? That, the guys are just weird that way. Uh, ladies, you know, they could expend thousands of words between here and Mountain Home. Right? Um, just because they just got to get out there. Uh, but if you got a friend who doesn't value your words, it won't be long before you realize they don't value you. Right? And if you don't value Jesus' words, why should he value your words? But that's what so many modern Christians want. They don't want a Lord and Master. They want a genie in a bottle. And so they use the name God and the name Jesus, but they basically just invent for themselves what that means. And it is never our right or privilege to invent who our God is. We don't get to define him. He's already been defined long before we ever showed up. And if you want to be his friend, it happens on his terms, not yours. And so Jesus says, you're my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. Now back in John 14, verse 15, a very similar thing. If you love me, keep my commandments. And words aren't enough for a friendship to work. There has to be follow-through. Jesus always keeps up his end of the relationship. He'll never fail you or forsake you. All his promises are true. And we're called, in return, to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service. That's Romans 12.1. And, and so the expectation of a friend is a very important part of this passage. But lastly, I want to talk about, uh, in verse number 15, the expression of a friend. And so look again at verse 15. Henceforth, I call you not servants. For the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth, but I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard of my Father, I have made known unto you. You know, authentic long-term friendships have a progressive level of closeness. You don't become best friends with somebody the first time you meet him or her. And sure, there might be a connection, and you have some things in common, and you have some similar interests, and you have backgrounds that align, uh, or you have likes and dislikes that match up. But it takes many interactions over the course of time to reach a soul partnership with another person. And that same thing happened with Jesus and his disciples. Uh, he had always been their friend, but he hadn't always expressed himself as their friend. They had been his followers. And when he first met him, you remember what he said? Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Right? They were followers. Uh, in John 13, he called them servants. And now he's calling them friends. By the time the book of John ends, he's calling them my brothers. Right? His disciples had started out on a need-to-know basis. They, they didn't really understand much of what was happening a whole lot of the time. They were confused by the words of Jesus. They were stunned by his handling of certain issues. 
They were amazed by his miracles. But now they are receiving inside information on the purpose of God for their lives. And soon they would be enabled through the Holy Spirit to turn the world upside down with what they had seen and heard. They had a story to tell. But that story had been shaped through hundreds of experiences and interactions with Jesus. And I'm sure you've had something similar happen in your friendships. Uh, You have new friends that you really like, but you just haven't shared much together. And, And you have old friends that you can recite each other's life stories, right? You can finish each other's sentences, that those friends may even be closer to you than your own family members. And uh, there is a progressive intimacy that takes place in a quality friendship. You, you just get closer and closer over time uh, unless an issue separates you. Now, obviously, the opposite, uh, the opposite of this is what we know as fair-weather friendship. Okay, you guys ever heard of that? fair-weather friendship, that's a person who is dependable in good times, but not in times of trouble, okay? The person who has a habit of disappearing when there's any pressure or expectation. And, and we talked a little about that earlier. Jesus isn't looking for fair-weather friends, okay? He already has millions of fair-weather friends, He's looking for some all-weather friends who want to be close, who want to be involved in his kingdom purposes, who trust in his goodness, whether the sun is out or the clouds are out. And he still gives this incredible opportunity of real relationship to his friends. Now, I want you to go back in the book of John to John chapter 6, and I want to uh, show you really quickly this amazing test of discipleship that Jesus gave to the people who followed him. And if you've ever read John 6, John 6 starts out with this incredible story of the feeding of 5,000, where you got these thousands of people on a hillside, and uh, Jesus says to the disciples, hey guys, how are we going to feed them? And the disciples, we can't feed them. There's not enough money that could possibly feed them, and there's nothing close like to go buy anything. Uh, and Jesus said, okay, well, well, let's figure it out. And uh, here comes one of the disciples, Andrew, and says, Jesus, uh, I found a little boy, and he's got a sack lunch. Uh, he's got these five little barley biscuits and uh, two small fish for his lunch. And he's, Andrew's all excited. And the other disciples are looking at Andrew like, you're an idiot. How are we going to feed 5,000 people with a kid's lunch? Right? It's barely a Lunchable. Um, you guys like Lunchables? Did you, is that a thing that where you still like them? Do kids even like Lunchables? Okay, some, well, Trinity does, so I guess that re- kind of represents all kids, if, if she likes it. So uh, you, you feed the 5,000. Jesus says, have everybody sit down. He takes the lunch. He raises eyes to heaven. He blesses the food. And uh, he says to the disciples, start passing it out. And they start passing it out, and they pass out their whole barrel, and they come back, and they get more and pass it out, and everybody eats as much as they want, right? It's like Golden Corral on a Sunday afternoon. 
Yeah, which is really a bad sight. Like at about 2.30, you walk into there and you just see people kind of stumbling around, right? Back up to the chocolate fountain for a little bit more. And these people had the best fish and chips in the world, all you can eat, right? It reminds me years ago, Amy and I were in Ireland and we had taken a train with some friends up to this coastal city called Hoth. And we were so excited. We got off the train, and there's this cast, old castle, and we went in the castle. And we came back into town, and we walked down, and there's a fishing wharf at the end. And out on the sidewalk cafe, we walked by, and you could just smell it, uh, the fish and chips. And we're walking by, and I'm telling you, it was the most beautiful fish and chips I have ever seen in my life. These people are sitting there. There's these steaming golden fish on the platter as we walked by. And so I said, on the way back, that's where we're eating. And everybody's, yeah, we're in. That's where we're eating. And so we walked all the way to the end of the street, and we came back by, and it's lunchtime, and we walked in and asked, could we get a table? And, uh, and the waitress said, sure, I'll you know, get you a table. And, of course, she said it in Irish, but I won't do that. And, and so then she sat us at, down and Amy's friend and her husband were with us, and she is sitting by the heater, the radiator in the restaurant. And we'd been sitting there for like three minutes, and we're about to order, and she says, I can't, I can't sit in here. It's too hot. And I said, well, you got your coat on. Take your coat on. And she just kept complaining. It's hot. It's so hot. I'm so hot. And I'm like, well, you can leave, and we'll eat fish and chips. Well, Amy kept kicking me under the table, you know, you're being mean. Don't be mean to her. She's hot. And I said, well, okay, come here. I'll trade places with you. I'll sit by the heater. You sit here. The big deal is we get the fish and chips. We got to get the fish and chips. They're like the best fish and chips in the world. And she just, she wouldn't move. She didn't want, she didn't take her coat off. She just kept being obstinate. And uh, just ridiculous. I hope she's watching right now. Nicole, God bless you. I love you. Um, anyway, so finally, uh, we, did, we all decided, like I was pulled, we've got to leave the restaurant. It's too hot in here. Like, we're in Ireland, in Hoth, at the best fish and chips place in the history of the world, and we're leaving before we order. This makes no sense to me. Well, we'll shop a little, and then we'll eat somewhere else. I'm disgusted by this point. Like, I am, like, so disgusted that I can't, you know, I can't even really relive my emotions at this point. And, and so we go out, and they walk around and look at all this chachi stuff, and then we go down, and finally they decided that they're ready to eat. And so we go into this restaurant, and the name of the restaurant, if it's any indicator of stupidity, the name of the restaurant is called The Bloody Stream. That's the name of the restaurant. And we walk in, and, oh, we want fish and chips. We're in Hoth. We're on the coast. Fish and chips. It took like an hour to get it. It's this little piece of shriveled up dark meat. It was not the place where we had gone before. It didn't look good. It didn't taste good. And I'm telling you, when Jesus served fish and chips, it's the first place, not the second place. And everybody ate it. They ate as much as they wanted. In fact, there were 12 baskets left over 
That's crazy. Twelve baskets left over. And so the next day, on the other side of the lake, Jesus had gone across on a boat, and all of a sudden, here comes thousands of people who had walked around the Sea of Galilee just to be with Jesus. And Jesus started talking to them like, you guys came here because you want more fish and chips, huh? He said, I'm the bread of life. If you eat of me, you're going to be satisfied forever. And they totally didn't understand what he said. And uh, Jesus started to talk to them in what he called hard sayings. Like, if you're going to be my friend, you actually got to keep up your end of the deal. And here's what it says. Uh, when many of them heard what he said, they said, this is a hard saying, who can hear it? That's in verse 60. And at verse 66, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. They gave up on him. You know why? You're fair-weather friends. They didn't really care for Jesus. They didn't really want Jesus in their lives. They just wanted more fish and chips. And I love what happens next because Jesus turned to his 12 disciples and he looked at him and he said, you guys leaving too? Will you also go away? And Peter leaned in and he said, Lord, to whom shall we go? To whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And you know, once you've tasted the real thing, nothing else will satisfy you. And so Jesus is the ultimate friend. But Peter said, there's no other friend like you. There's no other place where we could go. Jesus is an all-weather friend. But he wants you to be an all-weather friend, too. And that's what leads us to the faith challenge for the day. Every week when we close out this sermon, we give a little faith challenge, a practical takeaway from what we've studied in God's Word. And, and today it all goes back to Jesus, the friend. That Jesus already gave everything to be your friend. He already gave everything to be your friend. As the old Dottie Rambo song said, he left the splendor of heaven, knowing his destiny. On the lonely hill of Golgotha, there to lay down his life for me. And I love the chorus. It said, if that isn't love, then the ocean is dry. There's no stars in the sky and the sparrow can't fly. If that isn't love, then heaven's a myth. There's no feeling like this if that isn't love. And could I tell you this morning that Jesus has done everything necessary for your salvation? He's gone above and beyond all expectations. I don't deserve his friendship, and neither do you. We are sinners separated from God, unable to save ourselves. We deserve eternal death. And yet, he offers us the gift of eternal life. He offers us a home in heaven. He offers us friendship for this life and beyond. And so, Will you accept his friend request? Uh, on social media, that means you push a button and say, I accept. In God's word, the accept button is a combination 
of repentance and faith, where you say, God, I'm turning from my way to yours. I believe that Jesus is Lord, that he died for my sins and rose again. I'm asking you to come into my life and be my eternal friend. And sadly, there are thousands of people who die every single day. We heard the sad news yesterday that Larry Gebert, the longtime announcer for Channel 7, passed away of a heart attack yesterday. You know, Larry's a nice guy, charitable, friendly, always smiling, always showed up at charity events. Uh, but all those things won't get him to God. The only way we get to God is through Jesus Christ. And many people have never heard what Jesus has done for them. Some people have heard, and they have refused his friend request. They've pushed away from his offer of everlasting life. Uh, a lot of people didn't intend to reject God. They just kept putting off the decision until it was too late. If you're here this morning, you can accept his friend request today. I urge you not to wait. Tomorrow is not guaranteed. And you need Jesus as your friend. You need him as your friend more than you need any other person or thing in the universe. And you might have a lot of pressing needs in your life this morning. Things that you're facing, things you're experiencing. They're pressing on you and weighing on you. But your primary need is a Savior. And Jesus is the only option there's no other way to God. There's no other path to eternal life. And there's no friend like him. And if you've never accepted Jesus into your life, you can do it this morning. Maybe you're a friend of Jesus, but you haven't been keeping up your part of the relationship. If you'll take a step toward him, he'll take two steps to meet you. He's not angry with you. He loves you. He wants the relationship restored. Whatever it is that God has laid on your heart, as we bow together to close in prayer, would you talk to God about it right now? Father, thank you that we could come in today and talk about Jesus, our friend. And we thank you so much for being our friend in spite of who we are, in spite of our failures. And Lord, there may be some who need to call out to you right now in their hearts and say, Jesus, I want you in my life. I'm turning from my way to you. I want you as my friend. There could be some who need to have that friendship restored. Maybe we've been fair-weather friends to you. and We need to come back and say, Lord, to whom else will we go? You're the only one worth having as our friend. And so I pray that you take us from this place with a renewed heart for God now. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, everybody. Love you. See you on Palm Sunday.